Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich. Today, I'm super excited to share with you Johnny's story. He is the founder of Johnny Slicks and an ex-military, so we thank him for everything he's done. You are going to love his story of how he's been able to get where he's at, the trials that he's had to go through to get to the trials. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Johnny Rushai with me. Johnny is the founder of Johnny Slicks. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot about how this business came to be and why it was important to him. But one thing that I, th- I thought was interesting about Johnny, and I think it's going to tie into his story, is he said he loves to ask questions. And so uh, that's obviously helped him to get to where he's at. So Johnny, thanks so much for being on today. Yeah, thank you so much. I love talking and I love asking questions. So this is perfect for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So just to kind of kick it off and get started, uh, you talked about how, you know, growing up, you were, you know, starting to hang out with like the skater crowd. So just talk about, you know, growing up and having that group of people that you were fitting in with. So in a big sum up, so everyone understands, I was a middle child of three boys. So you can already understand that I was not supervised. I was like (laughs) kicked out the front door. We lived on a small farm in Jersey too. So I was just kicked out the front door, go explore, go learn. And that's mainly why I ask so many questions because I always have done that. Um, Yeah, yeah, as a a middle child, I always got into trouble. I was always up to no good. My parents can never find where I was, you know, the typical. Um, and my grandma actually gave me a skateboard when I was like nine. It was like a scooter skateboard at the time, thinking that I would like be responsible with it. I immediately <laughs> broke the handle off. I was like putting stickers all over it. Um, I broke mine. I took my brother's like, it was like a huge thing. Uh, yeah. And I ended up, my neighbors were skateboarders at the time too. So we grew up together and we just ended up being in the skater community. Um, yeah, it ended up just being that way. And, and like the skater community, there's always the troubled kids and the up to no good, you know, skating where you're not supposed to. And uh, yeah, I found myself in a lot of those incidences where the cops would come, kick us out, go someplace else, drink monster all day, you know, just <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. So as you're growing up and you're getting into high school, then you end up meeting an important girl when we get to high school. So I want to highlight that piece of the story. Yeah, she's pretty important, you know, Uh, (laughs) Rebecca, my wife. Uh, So I moved when I was about 15, 16, um, just at the end of 15 years old. I moved from Jersey um, to Pennsylvania, the Poconos. That's where I met my wife, Rebecca. Um, I ended up going to school and since I was a skater kid, nobody skated there. So I was like the weird outcast kid. Um, so I, I like adjusted into like the music punk kids and that's where I met my wife and you couldn't tell now, but, um, cause we're nice, nice and dressed now, but we used to be like punk kids, you know, um, <laughs> I met my wife and at first she was like, I can't talk to him. I wasn't on her radar. She wasn't on mine, nothing, nothing. Um, and then it ended up, we sat together at like, um, a school test, like one of the state tests yeah. behind me. And I just copied all of her answers. And then she, she asked for my phone number to like <laughs> ask for study tips or something, trying to help me, or I don't know what it was, but, um, oh, it was, uh, I knew how to steal music from YouTube, you know, a troubled kid, you know, <laughs> she didn't. So she asked me she, for my phone number to do that. And uh, I gave it to her and then we just started talking and it ended up and it worked out pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> And we were 16 when we met. Yeah. I love it. That's so funny. I love how she used the, I don't know how to do the music to, to get yeah. your number. Clever gal. 
easy it was so sad and i fell for it i was just like yeah no i know how to do it you got like i got you no worries and she was like <laughs> doing it for a while <laughs> oh that's awesome so yeah. while you're in high school there's a military day which is not uncommon to almost any other high school right they they show up and there was one specific person there that you looked at them and you said they look like they have purpose so yeah. talk a little bit about you know that interaction and what what ended up transpiring from that yeah, so I'm sitting at the lunch table in the cafeteria and the military day, you know, all the recruiters are up there and um, all the recruiters were in their camis except for the Marine. And I was like, one of you guys look different than the other. Why? And I didn't know anything about military branches. No one in my family has ever been in the military. So I didn't really know anything about it, but I did know one thing that Marines were hard. That's all mm -hmm. I knew that was, yeah. they were the hardest. And I was like, he looks different. And from my previous knowledge, they're the hardest. So that makes sense. So he has, he's walking with purpose. The other guys are like sitting in chairs, eating cookies and stuff, like nothing on the other branches. I love right, right. all these guys, obviously. But like, at, from my perspective, I'm like, all these guys are eating cookies and like playing on their phones. And the Marine is standing there like with purpose. And yeah. I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to get one of their stickers, you know, just go up and get a sticker. Yeah. So I walk up. I'm like, hey, how you doing, sir? And he's like, hey, what can I help you with? And I was like, I kind of just want one of your stickers, one of your small Marine Corps stickers for my phone, you know? And he's like, I'll give you two stickers and a poster for your email. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm 17. Like, what's he going to do with my email, right? That dude emailed me so many times after <laughs> he, did, he got my email. But um, yeah, that interaction was really the start of... I got it. I want to do something bigger and better. And that at that moment, I realized that life is not just a ride you go on. It's a purpose. Mm. You have to look for things and things that stand out and go to them. They're not going to come to you. The Marine wasn't walking up to people. I went, I had to go to him. And yeah. um, that's, that's when I realized that I have to seek purpose. It's never going to come to me. Um, and that interaction got me in the Marine Corps <laughs> for a sticker, two stickers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, th and thank God you're a skater kid. Otherwise the stickers wouldn't have meant anything to you. You know, exactly. you may never have even right. gotten the, I know the email address. Like fell into place there. Yeah. I loved stickers. <laughs> I put this on my board. I put it on my phone, on my locker. Like, Oh, that's good. So great. you, you joined the military and, you know, I, I think something for, you know, myself from an outside perspective, never having joined the military, I sometimes think, you know, if, if you were kind of the middle child personality, uh, was it a tough adaptation? So just talk about getting in and, you know, the new world that is joining the military. Yeah. So I consider myself pretty fluid and adjustable to situations and I can, um, I can pretty much adjust to a room or some sort of situation or personality. Uh, I don't know where I got that skill set, but I, I was able to join the Marine Corps and kind of just do what I was told. Um, I was rebellious to a certain extent, but I knew authority and I knew what was right. So I didn't really have, I wasn't like a loud mouth. I wasn't back talking. I wasn't saying, oh, these recruiters, these drill instructors, I'm going to sock them one. Like that wasn't me. I knew my place. I knew that this was temporary. I knew that this is his training. Um, yes, it was very hard, but I knew that it wasn't forever. Um, but yeah, being in, in skateboarding, I, and I played drums as a kid too. So I have calf muscles and, and quad. So I, I was good. I can go, I can do things. I can get up quick. Um, and that got me through a lot of things, but I wasn't too rebellious to the point where, um, I think it was after they shaved my head. I was like, uh, all right, I'm not like this skater punk anymore. I'm just a normal, you know, recruit. So got to do it. 
Um, and there were a lot of people I met that were very similar to me in the Marine Corps. And that helped me a lot adjust because I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. And growing up as a middle child being, you know, not getting kicked out of the house, but, you know, going out on my own and exploring and doing these things and being in that click, so say, um, you kind of feel alone. And that's something that I didn't feel anymore at all in the Marine Corps. We were all suffering together. We all had the same goal. We all had the same thing. And uh, it felt like a team. So it really it really solidified the decision for me. And it made me feel like I did something, you know, I, I followed a purpose and it's paying off, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's really good. And maybe highlight that. And we're going to talk about that more later as well, but talk about the power of having that circle, having that group that has, you know, those similar goals as you, and just the impact that that had on your time in the military. Yeah. Um, having having a like tight team is something that it's it's actually really hard i mean people describe it camaraderie tribe team family but there's no real like essence or energy of what it actually means yes. to actually like okay we don't have eyes on the back of our head right that's half our body we can't see but imagine if somebody you trusted you didn't know you don't know where they're from you don't know where they're upcoming but you know that they have your back and they know that you have theirs it's yeah almost like uncanny you can't like speak of it but um it is something that's very trusting and uh, i actually have applied that to plenty of other areas and other relationships in my in my life uh, especially with my wife um understanding that no matter what i'm not going to hurt her and no matter what she's not going to hurt me we apply it to the employees we apply it to uh nick and ali the business partner so we apply that concept everywhere the team concept and i really adapted that and learned the first seeds of those in the Marine Corps when I would set my bunk. And if I couldn't get my lock open fast enough on my foot locker, my bunk mate helped me or yep. he, he would uh, distract the drone instructor with something else stupid because I'm dripping sweat and I can't open this and I'm shaking. Um, it was that sort of things where I didn't ask for help, but it was there. And because of that, it, you pay it forward. You do it to somebody else and you do it to somebody else. And um, they always build the, the challenges where your unit is against that unit, this platoon against that platoon. And um, that helped a lot build more like a stronger tight knit community of the platoon, 70 people um, to have each other's back and have a unified enemy and go to nothing, you know, fight for everything you have for each other. Um, yeah, and yeah. the Marine Corps really planted that uh, for me to be able to work with a team efficiently and uh, understand the bigger goal, the big blue arrow where the goal is and how to get there all, all together all at one time. So that's so good, man. I love that. Now, while you're in the military, I would love to say things are going really well and you just, you know, excel, 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 excel. And then you take it over and, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're the next Jocko Willie, but an injury happens. So, yeah. you know, talk about that. Talk about, man, you know, the setback and just the emotional going through, you know, what an injury does in, in the military. Yeah, it was, um, well, one, in the military, you're not, I know people don't really speak about it as much, but you don't really go to battalion aid stations. You don't really go to the doctor. Um, when you say, I don't feel good to your, um, whether it's your um, staff NCO or anybody, really, um, your NCOs, when you say that, I, I don't feel good, or um, I broke my pinky, I need to go to the doctor. You, yes, you get hazed, you get made fun of, you get picked on and you're told, no, you can't do that type of stuff. Um, yeah. Yes, they can't deny you medical, of course. <laughs> but when everybody's looking at you like you're a little girl, you're crying, you're complaining, it does 
nothing physical to you, but all emotional and mental. It starts to yeah. feel like you're not a part of the team. You've just been out outside, right? Um, you're all of a sudden ostracized because you're broken. And um, yeah. I ruptured my ACL and my meniscus flipped over. So it became like all scar tissue in my left knee. Oh my I had to have a pretty massive knee surgery. I had to get a skin graft for my ACL. They took some hamstrings from the same leg, but they weren't long enough. So the hamstrings had to get rehealed and everything. Um, and all of that set me back so much because I was looked at as somebody that should and could help the team. But now all of a sudden I'm down and I was down for a longer period of time because I didn't get the right rehab I was supposed to. Right. So I just kept looking at like a shit bag. Like I wasn't <laughs> doing what the team needed me to do. And yep. it really affected me mentally and emotionally to the point where I'm ostracized and they're treating me like I am. I might not actually be on the outside, but I feel like it. So now I start acting like it. I don't start carrying my, the weight of other teammates. I start, you know, trying to look out for me and trying to figure out why, what's wrong with me, why I'm the problem child here, even yeah. though at the time I was the armory chief, I was the acting armory chief um, in the armory unit where I was. And I was getting my, my chief warrant officers were talking to people under me to get things wow. done. And just because I wasn't there, I wasn't mentally there. And I was being a baby about my knee. I was walking with a cane. I literally had a cane for like six months wow. and I couldn't, I couldn't do any PT. I couldn't do anything. Um, so that injury really set me back. Nothing physical um, other than the rehab that I should have gotten that I didn't, but um, it was more mental and emotional, not being there for my team and, and having people subliminally know that and yeah. telling me that, Hey, you're not really here for me. So I'm going to go to someplace else. And I'm like, well, I'm your team. I'm on your team. And it didn't right. feel like So I think injuries go m way more than physical, especially when you're a part of a team, not just in the military, but a team in general. Um, so trying to overcome that and trying to figure out I'm still here mentally, emotionally, I'm still sharp. I'm still here for you. If not sharper, because yeah. I can't be here physically for you. And um, overcoming those things were, was very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So because of that injury though, it does allow you some time to check out this interesting hobby that you have, and it's to continue to make sure you look good, right? So if you guys yep. are listening to this, you can't see him, but I mean, the guy's got a well-groomed beard. He's got some good flow in his hair. I told his wife to make sure he's got some good, good oils in today, promote <laughs> the brand, but he, he looks great. And so this is something that while you're in the military, you get intrigued by and you start researching. Yeah. So um, my, at the end of my deployment, I started to get really big into pomades, specifically yeah. pomade, not gel, not anything other than just pomade, traditional old school pomade. And I was really, really into um, the 1940s era of hair, 1940s, 1950s, where it was pompadour, slicked back, really clean looking. Yeah. You could look like a family man and a businessman at the exact same time. I love your hair. I, like the exact 1920s and 1940s was beautiful for me. Um, and the best thing I styled my hair with was pomade. Um, at the time, it was a water-based pomade. And I didn't know it was completely topped to the rim of chemicals. I did not know that at the time. Um, I didn't think I really cared at the time either. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just like uh, before that movie, um, the documentary Super Size Me, before that came out, people didn't really, we knew it wasn't good for us, but we didn't really know it was bad for us. You know? um, the same thing happened to me. I was like, oh, this, this can't be good, but it's not going to hurt me, right? It's, I'm not going to live long enough to see the effects. Um, and I remember there was one specific moment I jumped down off the loading dock at the armory and uh, one of my guys said, hey, you losing your hair? And I was like, what? No, man. What are you talking about? 
um, he said that right here, he said, maybe it's just the way it's styled. Maybe it is. Um, so in the pomade I was wearing at the time, it was like hard. So it hardened. So it was like, I looked like a Kendall almost like if I look back now, I laugh at it, but at the time I loved it. Um, and I would like do this to the top to kind of like Donald Trump hide it, you know? And, um, I went home and I looked in the mirror and I was like, Oh, I am thinning hair. What is going on here? And yeah, like that, that little bit of downtime that I had from the injury, I was able to start doing researching, start looking into things. And that's when I was about to transition out of the Marine Corps too. So I need to figure out what I was doing. Um, And that's when I went, I decided to go to barber school. So I was like, I'm gonna go be a barber and then I could figure out this thing going on and I can help other people and I can cut hair because I'm clearly passionate about it. Um, that's when I found out that I was not <laughs> passionate about barbering. It was something very, very specific to barbering that I was interested in. Um, but yeah, all that downtime definitely helped me kind of focus on the transition more than picking up the slack of where I was, you know, and I'm not trying to say like, I didn't do work towards the end. It just seemed like I was ostracized. So I had a lot of time at a desk, not doing anything, uh, waiting, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And in the armory, a lot of Marines will know, military in general, the armory is known to just not doing anything. We work a lot, but it's on specific. We have rush hour and then nothing. Right. Rush right. hour and nothing. Um, and during those nothings, I decided to just start looking at things and researching. And that's that piqued my interest a lot. I never used to like researching until then. Yeah. Yeah. So a question I have, and, you know, I think this is true for just about everyone. And that is, you know, as you're transitioning from one phase of life to a next phase of life, um, you, you either realize that your identity has been tied to it or you don't realize it and you try and transition and you yep. feel like you're missing something. Um, I can only imagine how prevalent that is in a military type environment where it's like, yep. you, you all understand what you went through, but all of a sudden as you transition to civilian or normal, normal lifestyle, right? Uh, you are all of a sudden surrounded by people that don't understand anything that you've had to go through over the last four, eight, 10, 20 years. So talk yeah. a little bit about that transition and just like the psychological part of that for, for you. So it was, it was actually really, really difficult. I always downplay it, but it actually was really difficult. There was a point in time when um, I actually started researching how to file bankruptcy because I didn't know what to do. We were selling everything we had. I didn't know what to do, but um, that's fast forwarding a bit. On the way out, transition and out, we do a transition readiness seminar. Yeah. And anybody military is laughing, they're laughing right now. They're If they heard me say that, they're laughing because it's not a readiness seminar. It's just sit there and sign a paper. Um, but they taught me they taught me two things, how to, <laughs> how to write a resume. And uh, the other thing was more uh, mental. Uh, everybody is going to want you to work for them because you are a Marine. That's mm-hmm. what they taught me. Uh, that is not true. That is 100% <laughs> quite the contrary. People are like asking weird questions. Like, uh, do you have PTSD? Are you, are you okay? Wow. You, yeah. Getting those type of questions. So it was backwards. Um, but I went into the private sector of civilian life thinking that I'm a Marine in Jacksonville right here. Everybody's a Marine, but I'm walking around saying I'm a Marine. You, you should want me to work for you. I went everywhere like that. And I was so confused on why I wasn't getting calls back. I wasn't getting emails. I wasn't getting anything. I would stop by. I didn't do anything at the time. So uh, I was going to barber school at night. So 4 p.m. to like 11 midnight is when I went to school. So all day, I was just searching for jobs nonstop. And I was so confused on why no one wanted me. Um, I even went to places and I said, look, you don't even have to pay me. Just let me work here for a week. I'll sign whatever and look what I'm capable of. And yeah. still everyone said no. Wow. So I was getting really frustrated. Um, I ended up working for a gas station across the street. Um, and that was 
at the time my ego had from being in the Marine Corps and being told that I'm a Marine, my ego was just like through the roof. And it wasn't allowing me to communicate properly to people Mm -hmm. that are just normal people. They're not (laughs) anybody that should, they don't have high expectations of me. They're just normal. And I'm just coming at them wrong and I'm just not communicating properly to them. Mm -hmm. So I really had to pick that up and let it go. And the first time I remember saying, okay, I was driving home from school. I remember saying, I got to let this ego go is when I had for the fourth day in a row, ramen noodles for lunch and dinner. And I remember walking around um, a a gas station parking lot, picking up change to buy gas to go to school. And I said, I got to let, I got to let, something's got to change. Like something's got to give, this isn't working. I'm going to change. And that same gas station, I ended up going the next day and getting the job there. So I worked there during the day and um, I was like, I I just got to, I got to change. I got to figure something else out. But the transition was really difficult when it came to understanding just because you were in the military and you did all these cool things that people see in movies, does it make you special? You are not some special person that everyone's going to be bowing out your feet and begging mm-hmm. you to work for them. You are a normal person and you need to prove that you are something more than that. Um, wow. You need to earn that. And that was a big, big moment for me, but it, did, it took a little too long because picking up change and it really felt it felt something, you know, it felt a little hard for me to be able to do that, but Absolutely. I had to do it. Right. Yeah. No, I, wow. I appreciate you sharing that, man. That's deep. Yeah, so, so as you're going to barber school, like you said, Hey, you realize I'm not really passionate about the actual haircutting barber side. I'm passionate about kind of the product side. And yeah. you, so you start researching that, how do I make this stuff? So it's not going to help, you know, people have good heads of hair, like you and I lose yeah. their hair too early. Yeah. Um, and I want you to talk about the formation of the business. And then you hinted at it earlier, but donating plasma. So yeah. talk a little bit about <laughs> that, that beginning of the business. So I finished about halfway in uh, barber school in this state, you need to finish like 1528 hours or some, some number of specific uh, for barbering. You need to finish a certain amount of hours for that. Um, I think every state's different, but I was about halfway, just over the, the peak of halfway. And um, I found myself, we have, there's two, there's two rooms in, in the barber school. You have the cutting floor, then you have the book floor, the learning floor. Um, I found myself always sitting in the learning, in the learning room, just flipping through the textbook. Yeah. And there was like a third of a chapter of this entire textbook on chemistry, aromatherapy, and products, styling hair. Like it was nothing. There was like a paragraph and a half. Um, but I found myself constantly highlighting, constantly underlining notes all over the pages. And every other chapter was meaningless to me. Um, there were just enough chairs for the students to all get in there and cut. We had people coming in that were local that wanted, you know, let us practice on them. Yeah. And um, everyone tried to get me out of that room to cut hair, and I just didn't like it. And honestly, I actually learned there uh, a little secret from barbering, but a bad haircut can get away. You can get away with a bad haircut if you style it right. And that's mm. what I did. I just, I was all about styling. I felt like, uh, you ever see Zoolander with, oh, yeah. um, Sandler, that was me. I got out of the military. And I was like, I just want to make everyone silky smooth. Um, but <laughs> I'd cut hair and I was terrible. I was so bad at it. I was, I'm a perfectionist. So I'm just like, I'm sitting there for like an hour and a half on like three hairs. Yeah. Um, so I would do it really fast and just style it and it worked. Everything looks good, but I wasn't confident. I'm like dripping sweat doing it. I'm shaking. Cause I'm so nervous. I don't understand, uh, clippers, cutters, shears. I don't understand all this stuff, but I understand styling. I understand how to make yeah. it look good. The head shape and all that. Um, everyone was making fun of me because, you know, they're all trying to be the best barber with their 
tight fades and everything. And I'm just sitting there reading about aromatherapy, chemistry. Um, and then I said, wait, why am I using these? I picked up, um, you know, from barbershops, I get like these big tubs of products. Yes. They get them for like $3 and it's like a giant gallon of gel or something. Um, and I was using that and I was like, this stuff's absolutely disgusting. Like my hands are super dry. It's terrible. I don't want to use this. I'm putting this on their hair. And then right. I said, wait, I asked this in class. I said, wait, if, if I'm a barber and I want my client to come in every other week to get a haircut and I want them to, your main thing is to make sure they come every day, every other week for the rest of their life, right? You want this one client to always come back. You want them to bring their kids. You want them to bring their grandkids. But if I'm using products that are going to make them go bald, I'm going to lose a client and he's not going to come that often. So I was like, why am I using products that are going to make my clients go away? Why wouldn't I want to promote faster hair growth? So they come yeah. instead of every two weeks, they come every week. And then they tell their friends because their hair is thicker. Why wouldn't you do that? So right. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take off for a week not going to go to school. And I'm going to try and figure out what the hell I want to do. Cause I'm super confused at the time. I have so many things juggling. I don't know what I want to do. Still working at the gas station. My ego is still like dropped. I'm let it go, but I'm like, okay, I'm open universe. I'm open. Tell me what I want to do. And yeah. then, um, the products just fell in. So I started researching the products that I was using at the palmies I was using at the time, the ingredients, I literally copied, I took it and I researched it. And if it was a chemical, I cross it out. Everything that wasn't, I kept on another list. And then I researched all of those ingredients and I found out which ones do the best and how they work together. So coconut oil, argan oil, jojoba, all these ingredients, they're awesome, but they're even awesomer when you put them together. So yeah. I was like, how can I create something like this? So I spent every single penny I had, every single penny on ingredients, testing, uh, different types of beeswax, different types of oils, all of these things, different jars. Um, I found out that uh, amber glass, if you look, all of our products are in amber. Amber is a natural UV protectant. So you don't need to put preservatives in. It protects against UVA, B, and C rays. So I this that. shelf life just by the glass. So these are things I just started researching. I was like, I like that. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to make my own. Um, went completely broke and nothing was working. And I, I had nothing. Uh, all the money, everything just went straight into the trash. And I had nothing to show for it. And I was really, really hurt. Um, that was the first test I had where, do I really want to go through with this passion, this purpose? Is this something I really want to do? Yeah. Um, I hate getting stabbed with needles. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Um, but my wife said, Hey, I know you, we probably don't want to, she hates it as well, but we can sell plasma. And at my time, the little bit of ego I had was like, no, 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 no. I don't, I'm not one of those. No, I don't need to do that. That's like, no, I don't need to do that. You're crazy. Um, but then I found out that because of all the vaccines that I had from the being in the Marine Corps, I can get a lot of money selling plasma. I get 30, I think $35 every time they take from me and you can do it twice a week. So it's $70 a week, four times a week, you know, it, it adds up Yeah, $300 a month doing this. Um, my wife did that as well. And then we put our money together, separated some for food, but the majority went directly towards more research, more ingredients, more jars, more everything. Um, and with that money, about nine months went by of doing that constant, constant, constant failures. Um, she worked double shifts as a manager at Chuck E. Cheese. I'd be home burning. There'd be fires in the kitchen. She'd come home and it smelled terrible. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. She'd be like, man, I thought you were going to have dinner ready. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm working on it. I, I'm like covered in oils and everything. And uh, yeah, it was just terrible. But um, she, she, she put up with me, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I thank her for that. But um, yeah, selling plasma and then getting it. And then finally, one day, 
something clicked, something works. The oil's mixed. We did the right temperature. I did everything right the way it was supposed to. I annotated it and I had the first, actually, this is it. I had it here for the show. This is the first uh, palmate I've ever made. I, I, I don't want to open it. It doesn't, it probably doesn't smell good, but this was about five years ago I made this. And yeah. this is how I used to make them. I used to put them in these jars and take them to shops and try to give them to people. But um, yeah, the hardest part was trying to determine, hey, can we still financially do this? Can I still follow my passion? And luckily, my team here with Rebecca, we were able to just keep going, keep keep finding ways to find more money to, uh, you know, sell. I sold everything we had. We sold TVs, we sold everything, couches. We were living like there was nothing. Um, we were getting ready to move into a much, much smaller place too to uh, keep the mortgage or keep the rent down. Um, and then finally it worked. And then for some reason, people just didn't want to buy it. It was super hard to sell. Yeah. I had a really hard industry and hard market that I had to sell. Like I had to sell this to people. Like how, how can I convert, you know? And I am by no means a salesman. I am by no means somebody that's going to go. So what I did was I put about 20 of these in a briefcase, in a small little briefcase. And I drove around all over town um, going around saying, hey, do you want to try these? And, you know, it cost me about, I think it cost me $7 to make this at the yeah. time. Uh, and I was selling them for 10, but people, they didn't want to buy it for that price. So I'd give right. them this or I'd give it to f- for free. They'd get it and um, they'd sell, but I wouldn't make any money. I right. remember I, had to, I drove to Connecticut. I drove to Florida. I drove across the state just to sell a couple. I drove three hours for a guy who wanted to buy 20 of them. Best day of my life. 20 jars? You're kidding me. I'm on my way right now. Yeah. He didn't buy a single one. He didn't buy a single jar. I drove three hours up there, three hours back. I missed school. I missed everything, but um, that that taught me. It taught me to get some some money up front, you know. But um, so so let's dive into. I mean, you know, you're you're finally you've got a product, right? So I mean, that's the first hurdle. So there's probably a couple different ways we could look at this. One is, hey, I'm I'm making progress, right? I finally crossed that hurdle. All right, now what's next? Yeah. But the other hand, it could be. Gosh, it took that much effort just to get through the first one. Now I still got to find people that want the product and then I got to make money on it. So talk a little bit about your mindset going into that. And I mean, I'm even just envisioning that drive home, right? Like the <laughs> excitement there and then the drive home and not having nearly as much excitement. You can imagine the different types of music that was playing. <laughs> I was still, yeah. still on the way, I was like, dude, the drive couldn't take longer for me to get there. On the way back, I was like, uh, I had my head down so low. I'm surprised I made it home. You know, I was so defeated, so yeah. defeated. Um, but that happened about uh, three times. I went to a couple barber conventions and everything. But at the time, the hurdle of selling it didn't really hit me yet. I didn't even yeah. see it in my sight. I, I, I jumped over the hurdle of making the first formula. But I didn't see that other hurdle of selling because I was like, guys, this is something different. This is nice. something that's going to change. You don't have to use chemicals. You could use this, but people didn't want to hear that. I'm, I'm assuming the same thing happened with, like, I, I'm surprised why fast food. I don't know why fast food still exists. I don't understand <laughs> it. I have no absolute idea and how well it's doing. Yeah. Like we, know, we know it does it. You know, it's just like cigarettes. We know these things happen and we know the effects of them, alcohol, all these things, but they still exist. People still choose to do them. Yeah. Um, convincing somebody elsewise I'm not a salesman and I'm not good at like debate. So I had to sit there in front of a ton of people in an open barbershop and try to convince them why mine is better and different and going to be helping them and not hurting them. They can take the risk. And I'm not good at public speaking. I'm not good when it comes to sales. So I'm just sitting there. I'm like, 
it's organic yeah, <laughs> yeah. um yeah. and that's when i was really one of the hurdles i had to jump over before selling was convincing the the customer and the people that what they're using is not real that it's yeah. fake it's yeah. synthetic it's fake it's not going to help them um and it doesn't really help in a broken industry when terms you know fitness is the same thing there's so yeah. many yeah. things everywhere that's just hearsay opinion but people take it as fact. Um, yeah, yeah. If somebody somebody could put all natural on this jar and sell it as if it's organic and healthy and it's made from the woods, but asbestos is all natural, uh, snake venom is natural, uh, formaldehyde. <laughs> we literally embalm human bodies with formaldehyde. And you can find that in your everyday common grooming product. Go to your shampoo and look for EDTA, wow. EMDM. Those are formaldehyde releasers and convincing a person that that is in there and you're putting it on your body and your skin is going to absorb that on your largest, you know, organ, it's going to get absorbed. Um, that was another hurdle. And that kind of stopped me where, okay, I'm not really looking to sell this anymore. I'm looking to more educate. I, right. have, to I have to educate first and yep. then that will sell. So since I'm not a salesman, I said, I'll just sell with education. I'll just come at you and be like, look, here's the problem. And then when somebody's like, well, what's the solution? I'll be like, right here, you want it? $10. And it worked. It worked. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't sustainable. I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't selling enough. I wasn't, um, my profits were nothing. I didn't have anything. So I would keep, you know, selling plasma going through that. Um, but the hurdles, I had to realize that I'm not, it's a flaw. I can't sell, but what is the way around that? How can I get around that and adjust and adapt yeah. and make it work? And uh, educating and researching became a, a truly a passion of mine. I started to research everything. I found flaws um, with the FDA and the USDA and their certified badges and everything. I found these flaws that people just didn't know about. Um, I don't know if you remember, I think it was uh, Burger King. They ended up getting busted for like horse meat in their burgers. Yes, or something. yeah, yeah. And everyone threw an outrage. Um, but legally, they were okay. Right, they had the percentage, yeah. Yeah, it was less than 5% of the gross weight of the meat um, or of the burger. And that's the exact same thing in, in grooming industry. If it's less than 5%, it's actually worse. If it's less than 5%, you don't even need to put it on the label. Wow. That's how, that's how corrupted it was. And when I found the research on the FDA website that said this, I printed out, I carried my little booklet around and I told people, I said, look, you can, you can literally look at this for yourself. There's inorganic compounds that you can put in your products and still have a USDA, FDA organic badge on your product. And if that's not corrupt, I don't know what is. Yeah. And I literally stood there and I told people, um, I have the solution and I can show you literally every single thing that goes in here as a raw ingredient being cooked in a sanitary place with fully, truly organic ingredients that you can find in nature. I can go out in nature and make you a groomer product. No problem. Nobody else can do that. And that really, really, really worked. All that research and educating that it worked. <laughs> I love it. So, so as you're growing the business and it's gaining some traction, you're, you know, making a few hundred dollars a month, you reach out to a beard competitor, which is a smart move uh, to be like, Hey, would you use my product? And he ends up making an introduction to Nick, a, a business partner. So yep. just talk a little bit about that and then talk about your uh, reach out to Nick. Yeah. So I really wanted to make um, the pomade for myself and to help other people with hair, but my biggest industry I wanted to go was for beards. I don't know why at the time, I don't know why I want to do that. It's a tiny industry compared to hair and skin. But um, so I reached out to a couple top 
uh, champions, you know, um, national, international ch beer champions. A lot of them had, as you can imagine, giant beards. And <laughs> if I can't make profit on, you know, a jar, how can I supply for somebody that probably uses three of them a day? Um, so I reached out. Uh, one of them said, hey, um, you're a Marine. I can't use your stuff and I really appreciate you, but you're a Marine and my son-in-law's a Marine you should reach out to him. And he's right down the road. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting thing. Uh, go and find out it's Nick Humalatzos. And he said, hey, you're not gonna be able to get through to him. So you're gonna have to try to get through to his people. Just like keep messaging his people, emailing his people. <laughs> Eventually he'll he'll listen to you. Ah, oh, man, I, I wish I could like, I wish I was exaggerating, but it was so long, like 17 messages, like six months went by. Yeah. Where I'm just messaging. Every time he went live, I joined and I was commenting like, hey, I'm, I'm right down the road. Let me just stop by, man. And um, I'm sure, you know, even today, he still gets tons of those messages of people that, you know, want to talk to him and want to meet him and do all these things, but he can only have so much time. Yep. So I wasn't giving him enough reason to listen to me. And then finally, enough nagging. He finally listened to me. I, re I remember I was working at the barbershop. I was a receptionist at a barbershop, which is like just as glorious as it sounds, you know, with customers <laughs> and barbers and um, yeah. in a military town. So I remember it was a, I think it was a, Sunday, I got a message from him saying, Hey, um, yeah, I'm interested. Come on by, drop, drop some off. I made like the nicest little package of everything, like labeled everything perfectly. Um, I dropped it off on a Tuesday and he wasn't there. So I was a little upset, but he was filming. I understood. I dropped it off. And then we were on our way to Wilmington here. It was uh, Rebecca and I's anniversary. So we were getting, uh, I was buying her Megalodon teeth because we have a lot of shark teeth here. Um, so I got her Megalodon teeth for her anniversary. And he's like, hey, I'm in office now. It's raining, so we can't film. You want to come by? So I was like, whoa, hooked the Yui, flew on back. Um, I got to meet him and Allie, and we sat down. He completely embarrassed me in front of everybody by asking me, what is my business infrastructure? And I've never heard the word infrastructure used in that aspect. I was like, uh, so we joke and we say I had a no for structure. I didn't have an infrastructure. I was just selling and buying. And then, but you know, I didn't, I, I didn't even have a bank account I was coming out of. Like, it was just yeah. like, when I had money, I bought things. Um, and he tried it for about two weeks and they called me. And he said, uh, we need, you know, can we sit down, uh, have lunch sometime? I want to talk to you. And he said, I don't want to answer right now, but I, I, you know, how do you think about partnering and taking this much bigger? And I didn't want to answer him right then because he literally told me. And at the time, this is like, big, big businessman. And I'm just a little guy selling these twos or threes of these. The best month I ever had was like just under $300. Um, and so this was like, I felt like I was just like a little old farmer's market guy, you know, doing these things. Um, but I was like, yeah, I'm like super broke. And I can't, I don't know how sustainable this is. I, I, I don't know what to do with anything anymore. I'm losing faith. I'm losing hope. Um, I, I thought this was my passion, but nobody's helping me, you know, type thing. And uh, I saw the opportunity and I, we had lunch at Chipotle and uh, partnered right then and there. So we ended up, you know, doing everything, signing. He took it all. I think it took, that was like the end of January of 2018. Yeah. And we ended up yeah. signing paperwork end of February and officially launching on March 7th of 2018. So everything kind of happened really, really fast. Um, yeah. I remember he said, hey, it's going to cost. We need to go to the IRS. We need to go to the state department store we need to do all this stuff how much can you make and how much can you put into an account for startup and i was like uh, i have i have negative dollars <laughs> so i don't know and he's like can you do 300 and i was like yeah i can do that 
And Rebecca looked at me and she was like, where are we going to get $300? And I was like, I don't know, but we, we have to, like, we've done it before. We have to do this. Um, We had a yard sale every day until we had $300 and she had Vera Bradley purses. She was selling for like $15, $10 brand new, just because we needed the money. We needed it right then and now in the, the Vera Bradley purses weren't you know, business, they weren't helping us in any way. So she got rid of them. Um, we sold a lot of things, ended up raising, I think we raised like $225, just under 300. Um, but it was in just enough. And we, we ended up partnering and we launched and that night, I think within the hour, we already passed my highest month sales. And within that first hour of launching and I was dancing in the living room, dancing in the kitchen. I was like, we're, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing something, you know, this is awesome. Um, and then every moment after that was just full on Johnny slips. There was nothing else. Everything else just passed to the side. I just had one path now I was just running everything. Yes, yeah. Yes. So, so with that and yeah, I mean, what a phenomenal story. Hey, you just got to come up with $300. Yeah. Easy for you to say. <laughs> easy yeah, for you to say. That's right. $300 to me is a big deal. I was like three zero zero. Uh, what? <laughs> so, so when you think about that and I mean, you know, I don't want to fast forward too much, but I mean, yeah, the first year goes well. I mean, obviously it was as, as well as it could go. And I mean, you guys are just growing this thing, but Nick comes in and says, Hey, opposed to taking this money, which I'm sure at that time would have seemed pretty darn nice to, you know, yeah. add the pockets a little bit. Hey man, I've been eating ramen noodles. I've been picking up change, you know, like yeah. could use yeah. a couple extra bucks. He says, no, 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 double down. Let's invest into this business. Let's grow it even more. And so just talk a little bit about, you know, that business strategy and growing it and just having the faith in Nick and kind of believing, all right, what he's telling me, you know, can work. Yeah, a lot of um, what we mentioned earlier with the camaraderie in the Marine Corps and, yeah. and having the trust of somebody's got your back, um, both being Marines, that was unspoken. That was something that we actually never actually had a legitimate conversation about. It never was spoken that yeah. I can trust him and he could trust me. It was just a thing that yes. we knew. We As soon as we knew each other, we met each other, we knew it, it was a thing. Um, that's a baseline, just automatic trust. Um, and when he first said, all right, let's take all of the sales, the gross sales, whatever we have, figure out what we need to pay for overhead. Um, we are not going to take a dime. And I was like, what? Wait, I just worked <laughs> so much. What do you mean I'm not taking a dime? Um, and he said, let's put it back. How much will it cost you? At the time I was, I was making out of like a, a seven pound little candle mixer. I was making the pomades out and hand pouring them. He said, how much to get a bigger pot to make more? And I was like, oh, I can probably do research, but I've never looked into it. And he's like, let's get a bigger pot. Uh, you know, we'll put everything down. We'll buy a fridge so we can cool them and we'll get a bigger pot to make more. We can buy more ingredients. Um, and at the time I was like, okay, this makes sense. I, I you know, I, I would like money, you know, that's the point of this, but that makes sense. And he has businesses, so he must yeah. know what he's doing. Um, so we bought a fridge, bought a big pot. I remember it was $60 for the pot I bought. And I was like, I couldn't sleep the night before. I was like, what if it doesn't work? What yeah. if it was if I paid too much for it? And these were thoughts that I had that I carried along with me from a previous chapter. The mindset that um, money is uh, impossible to find, that it was something that was, uh, I'll never have it. And yeah. I couldn't think about the investment. I couldn't think about moving forward into the future because I was still holding on to something in the past. Um, but he kind of like, he kind of pulled it. He pulled me and he was like, Hey man, focus, man. Like, this is what's going to make money. The bigger, the more we can make, the more we can sell, the more that makes, the more we can buy, the more we can sell. 
Uh, the more we can advertise, we can start doing that. The better the website will look, the more we can experiment with new products, the more fragrances we can make. And I was like, okay, I like that. I, we only had two fragrances at the time. It was like original and cinnamon roll or, or something or paradise. I can't remember, but um, he was like, what if we make other fragrances? What if we make uh, a beard wash? You know? And I was like, I, I already have, I've been, you know, beard wash. That's something I wanted to make. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so we used some of the money from the profits from the previous month to make beard wash and buy the supplies. And it all just kind of started to work. And that snowball just like drastically got bigger within the first year, we were a six figure company within yeah. the second, yeah. the second year, we were a seven figure company. So things just like drastically just grew, 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 grew. And I was really forced into positions where I was like, but I was bankrupt. I didn't have money. And I was, you know, I had wow. to battle that. And I eventually got over it when um, I think it was like the first six figure month. I was like, oh, this is like a legitimate company. Like, this is like yeah. a thing. We have employees now. Like, I can't think like that anymore for them. Yep. Yeah. For, for the team. You know, this yeah. is like a ship I'm steering. I can't think like that. Only forward. Um, so I really kind of like had to hard, just like the same way I had to pick up my ego and let it to the side. I had to do the same thing. Let all of those previous chapters, although I learned and I grew from them, I cannot keep reading them. I need to put them to the side and move on and write new chapters and make new things happen. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really hard, but you know, thank God for Nick and his like hard. He was just like, yeah. you've got to do this. You have to do this. You have to make more. You have to let that go and move on. And uh, it took him some time, but you know, I'm a stubborn kid. So I was like, nah, nah, you don't know me. I'm different. I'm unique. I was a middle child, you know, I'm rebellious. Yeah. But yeah, he, he kind of helped. He helped a lot with moving forward on that and his, his infrastructure, building the infrastructure, because I didn't yeah. have one, really set the company up to run. You know, I had I had feet, but I wasn't using them. And he kind of set it up to run. Yeah. That's so good. So yeah, so the business, I mean, you go from bootstrapping it, driving to sell a bottle, handing them out for free to six figures to seven figures. And it's just continued to grow. And you guys are coming yeah. out with new products, new scents. Um, and so we'll make sure to highlight, you know, the, the company and the email or the website where they can be looking for things. Uh, the, the last thing I would be remiss if I didn't ask about is, and it's why I highlighted it earlier in your story, and that is Rebecca, right? Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, goodness, talk about, you know, being through everything, meeting in high school, you leaving, being deployed in military, yeah. you know, being married, selling stuff, donating plasma. I mean, like everything yeah. that took, talk just about, you know, having a support, uh, whether it's a significant other, a spouse, a family member that just has that much belief in you that even on those tough days, they say, let's keep going. Yeah, it really was. Um, there were days where, you know, I was living in the past a lot with my ego when I was, when we were going through tough times and um, living in the past immediately makes you depressed because you yes. can't change something you start regretting. And um, I was living, I wasn't living in the moment. I was living in the past and regretting things that I had done. And then I was also living in the future, which caused anxiety and, and caused me to not really live in the moment. And she was, she was the grounded person that kept slapping me and be like, Hey dummy, come on, man. Like that's not doing anything. You're not changing anything. She was at every dark moment I had, she was the light that pulled me back every single time without question, every single time. Um, and I really did, really didn't, I don't know if I could have done it at all without her, just because of her, um, strongness and willingness to stand by me no matter what. But there were a lot of times where, you know, we argued and we bickered and things got really stressful. You know, I didn't yeah. know we were, I was 22 when I started researching how to file bankruptcy, I was 22 when I started looking for change on the ground and selling plasma. Like 
I, that's kind of, that's young, you know, I just got out of the Marine Corps and, yeah. and we didn't know what we were doing, you know, um, we didn't have any kids and it was just her and I, so, you know, thank God we didn't have to other, you know, life that we had to carry with us and, and make sure we were surviving with. But, um, I mean, it was, there were some really hard times and she was so willing to just get up and, and work more without question. Um, she would get up, you know, the days where I was feeling depressed or I was down, you know, I, I was malnourished from ramen noodles. She was too, but she got up early and went to work and asked for double shifts and got another job. And she did all that. Um, just to make sure that I continued, I found yeah. my purpose and I, I didn't lose hope in, in the future um, without, without her doing that, without her strongness. But I mean, honestly, having a partner like that, a significant other, a best friend, um, whether it's a spouse or, you know, a brother, sister, a relative, having somebody to have your back is so crucial to yeah. your success. Everyone says you, you know, oh, it's my success. I should be able to do it on my own. Hell no, man. That ain't true. Like yeah. there isn't one person who could do everything. There's not a thing, but you add two. Now you got double the chances. You got double the eyes. You got double the hands. You got double the workload. You got double the mind. So now you can problem solve. You can troubleshoot and you can pivot. You can bounce ideas off of, you can have debates and you can make decisions. Um, and you can move forward. You can make mistakes as a team. You can succeed as a team. And those were the things that her and I, since we met so young, we grew who we were, we grew together. Yeah, so yeah. her and I are a package deal, no matter what. I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't say Johnny and Rebecca. Everyone just says right, Johnny right. and Rebecca. There's no Johnny or Rebecca. It's Johnny and Rebecca. Um, and that's, I, you know, I couldn't ask for anything better in life to have somebody like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Johnny, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and all the pivotal moments. I mean, as we kind of walk through that, I sit there and I think, you know, yeah, the, the guy would be willing to give stickers. Well, thank God you were a skater kid that wanted stickers because yep. that allowed you to get the email. Well, thank God you went to the military and that injury did happen because it gave you a little bit more time to research things and find this yep. passion. Ended up getting introduced to Nick and then obviously, uh, you know, just the business as it continues to grow. Only promise I want you to make is that we're going to do this again in, you know, probably like two years as the business, uh, you know, doubles again in the next couple of years. And then we'll get to highlight all those pivotal moments. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I do want to say real quick that yeah. all of these moments and I love the, um, the uh, premise of your podcast being in the moment and looking back and reflecting on the moments that were hard. And how at the time it feels like a grind and you're just like dragging your face on the cement and nothing seems like it's going to work, but it does. It somehow does. And it's because you kept going. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that can stop procrastination is action. The only thing that can stop you and stop you from moving forward is you. And all you have to do is just stop doing what you're doing, change what you're doing and move on, do something different and move yes. forward. And um, I love that. That's why I love the, the premise of your podcast, because I look back and I'm like, oh, man, I remember picking. I literally remember looking under seats um, at a car wash uh, for change. I remember looking uh, in the gas station for change. I remember asking people for money at the barber shop. I remember doing those things. And there isn't a single point of me right now that regrets that. But at the time, you sure as hell, like, I guarantee you, I did. I hated yeah. every single moment of that but I wouldn't change a single thing because all I know is that I wanted something and I wanted to work for it. And I knew that if I just sat home and complained and cried and felt anxious or depressed about something, nothing would change. Nothing. No one was going to come knocking on my door and be like, Hey, Johnny, you want to, you know, here's some money. You want to go make your passion and your dream come true. 
nobody's going to do that. Nobody wakes up and thought about, Hey, I wonder how's Johnny's doing today. Like nobody thought about that. Um, and I decided to take action for it. And I think that there is nothing better in life than hard things and hard decisions that you have to make because they make the biggest impact in your life. So I really do love, and I thank you so much for having me on the show to talk about it. And on that note, mic drop, I can't say anything to top it. So everybody, thanks for tuning in. Check out Johnny Slicks. We'll be promoting uh, the different brands uh, for hairstyling and also beard oil. So Johnny, thanks again, my man. Thank you so much. I love Johnny's story. I mean, just put yourself in his shoes. You, you think you've got this great product, you know you've got this great product, but you're having to pick up change in a parking lot. You're working at a gas station just to make money until you can buy yourself the time to get the product out there. So I'm thankful he and Nick were able to connect. And wow, what a pivotal moment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go ahead and check out Johnny Slicks for all your amazing hair and beard products, and then also uh, body wash, shampoo, conditioner, and just awesome apparel. Thanks so much, everybody.